At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Can you remember a time when you didn't feel safe? Safety and security are uh, very important to us, and so we can uh, generally easy, easily recall those times when we have not uh, felt safe. Maybe you were walking in a parking lot uh, late at night alone, didn't feel safe. Uh, Maybe you were flying in a plane and all of a sudden it started experiencing a lot of turbulence and you are gripping the armrests, not feeling very safe. Maybe you were laying in your bed. You hear that bump in the night. You hold your breath and listen as intently as you possibly can to see if there's any more noise that could possibly coming from your house. And you don't feel safe. You see, we like to feel safe. <laughs> when, we, when we don't feel safe, uh, there is that unpleasant feeling. Uh, it, it brings that sense of fear and distress and anxiety and even sometimes panic. And so generally speaking, we do whatever it takes to be safe, right? So there are some outliers, okay, people who jump out of airplanes and go bungee jumping, okay, those people are, okay, whatever. Most of us We do whatever it takes to ensure some sense of security, uh, some sense of safety. We we even pay a lot of money to feel safe or to be safe. I I wonder what security is is worth to you. Many of us spend a lot of money on high-tech advanced home security systems. We have apps on our phone where we can uh, have cameras around our house and we can check out our house from apps on our phone uh, because we are concerned about safety and security. We all purchase insurance to protect the things that we love to keep them safe in events of disaster. And no matter your stance on the issue, millions of Americans purchase firearms partly for a sense of safety Uh, and security. There are, uh, again, those who stockpile food and water and create locations that they can go to in the event of disaster, World War III, whatever. Uh, And they do all of that, again, for a sense of safety and a sense of security. Now, just to let you in on a little bit of my crazy, uh, in my truck, I have an emergency bag. It's just a bag that I keep, and there's just all kind of different stuff in there, and it's kind of for safety and, and security. It's, it's a just-in-case kind of Mary Poppins MacGyver bag that I have uh, in my truck, and, and it has 
several different things in it, like a flashlight, trash bags, duct tape, electrical tape, zip ties, a medical kit, chapstick, uh, a fire starting kit, basic tools, carabiner, bottled water, a high protein food source, 550 paracord, just to name some of the regular stuff I carry around all the time. Like I said, I'm letting you in on a little bit of my crazy. But it's for a sense of safety and a sense of security. And the truth is we all value safety and security. And the question is, what ultimately is supposed to keep us safe and secure? That's the question behind the question, isn't it? If we value safety and security, then what is it that is actually supposed to keep us safe and secure? Well, some would say I am. I am responsible for keeping myself safe and secure. It, it comes down to my, my skill level, my alertness, my awareness. Um, others might say, you know what, it's the government's job. The government's job is to keep me safe. It's the government's job to protect our borders, to ensure our police force, to ensure that our military is where and what it needs to be. And so it is the government's job. Other might have a more nuanced understanding and say, uh, it's actually both. I am responsible and the government is responsible. When we're asking these questions, I wonder how you would answer that question this morning. What is ultimately responsible for keeping you safe and, and secure? What we discover in our text this morning is that Samuel uh, has become not only a religious leader, but also a political leader of the nation, and he has been responsible for keeping this nation safe. Now, uh, we have at, here at Gospel Community Church been traveling through the book of 1 Samuel. That's generally what we do here. We just travel straight through books of the Bible. We go chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. This week, we find ourselves in chapter 8, and so if you would, go ahead and get out your Bibles or get your smartphone out and get this text in front of you as we walk through it together. Uh, Samuel has been keeping the nation relatively safe. I mean, just look at chapter 7, verse 13. It says this, So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. Samuel's leadership has defeated off their biggest and most threatening enemy, which is the Philistines. And they enter into this time of peace, which is at least over 20 years of peace and prosperity in the nation because of Samuel's leadership. Because of his leadership, they entered into this time of safety and security. Here's the problem that we're going to encounter in chapter 8. Samuel is getting old. And his sons are not fit for duty. And so now the nation is worried about the old guy in charge who now is going to keep us safe and secure because his sons are not fit for duty. And so their desire is, would you set up a new system of government? This new system of government where we have a king who is in charge, not the old guy and his crooked sons. They, they don't want that. The problem is in asking for a king, they are saying that they do not want God to be their king. Meaning, they do not believe God will ultimately keep them safe and secure. We don't like the old guy and his crooked sons. That's not going to work. We don't believe that God is going to come in and fight our battles for us. We don't believe God will deliver us. We don't believe God will rescue us. So give us a human king who will fill this role, who will keep us safe and secure, who will fight our battles for us so that we maintain this level of safety and security. They are rejecting God as their king. Now, stay with me. If we fast forward to the New Testament, at the crucifixion of Jesus, there is a sign written on his cross which says, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And if you remember, the Jewish leaders go to Pilate and they don't really like the sign. Hey, hey, Pilate, 
Could you take the sign down? We don't like that. This says that Jesus is our king. As a matter of fact, could you change the sign and make the sign say, this guy Jesus said that he was our king. And if you remember Pilate's famous line, he says, what I have written, I have written. And the sign stays. They are making this same claim that they do not want Jesus to be their king. Why? Because they don't like the type of king that he is. So they rejected Jesus as their king. The question this morning is inherent in the text. The question this morning from the text is incredibly clear. The the text is screaming to us, will you allow Jesus to be your king? That's the question in the text. That is the question that the text is asking you personally this morning. Will you allow Jesus to be your king, or will you reject him as your king? Will you appoint yourself as king, or will you appoint someone or something else as king? What is it going to be? Will you have Jesus rule over your life, or will you take the crown for yourself, or will you pass the crown on to someone else? The truth is, on that last great day, every knee will bow to King Jesus without question. Every knee will bow to King Jesus, and the question will be, did you serve Jesus as your king, or did you give the crown to yourself or someone else? Now, if you would, let us go ahead and talk about our great hope for today. My hope is this. My hope is that the people of Gospel Community Church will bow the knee to King Jesus. My hope is that The choices that we make on a day-to-day basis will show that Jesus is our king. You want to know if Jesus is your king? Look at your bank account. You want to know if Jesus is your king? Pull up your calendar and look at those dates. You want to know if Jesus is your king? Check your heart's affection. Those are the things that tell us whether or not Jesus is is our king. Well, in chapter 8 here in 1 Samuel, we see that the nation had been in crisis for a really long time, but Samuel has ushered in this time of peace and prosperity, uh, but things are changing. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm starting in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, the name of the second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted Justice, the text begins by giving us this bit of information that Samuel was old. Now, it doesn't tell us how old. Because old is relative to how old you are, isn't it? When you're in high school, uh, college-age kids are old. And when you're in college, 35-year-olds are ancient. (laughs) And if you're 40, 60 is old. And if you're 60, 80 is old. So it's a bit relative uh, here, but we do know that Samuel is old enough to have uh, two grown sons. So he is getting older in age, and here's what we know. The reality is if you, get, if you are too young or if you are too old, people doubt your ability. Being a young man in full-time ministry, starting out very young, uh, I was too young, and people doubted my ability. 
And the same thing will happen to me as I get older and older and older. Uh, at some point when I'm, you know, pushing my walker up here, people are going to think, you know, maybe he needs to lay the Bible down. Okay, no more preaching for that guy. He's too old. He can't lead the church anymore. So if you're too young, or you're too old, people doubt your ability. And that's exactly what's happening here in the text. Samuel is old. And so they're doubting whether or not he has the, you know, cognitive faculties to stay focused and lead the nation and secure uh, safety for the rest of them. Here's what it says. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And so it seems that in his age, uh, he's realized that he needs some help. And so he appoints his sons to be judges. Now, we're not even out of the first verse, but our eyebrows should be raised a little bit at the fact that Samuel has appointed his sons as judges. Now, if you know about Israel's history, to pass on the office of priesthood, that was passed down through the bloodline, right? From Aaron on and on and on. And the priesthood, uh, being the priest over the nation, that was passed down to your sons to be priests over the nation. But judges were appointed by God. So it's very curious here that Samuel has made his sons judges over Israel. Now, God could have appointed these two boys, Joel and Abijah, to be judges. The text doesn't say, but it does not seem very likely because of their character, which we are about to investigate. So it seems that uh, here in verse 1, we've already begun to veer off course a little bit with these two sons of Samuel being named judges. Now, these two boys, Joel and Abijah, it's clear that Samuel had very high hopes for these two boys because Joel, the name Joel means Yahweh is God, and the name Abijah means God is Father. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, the sons of great leaders are not great leaders themselves. Now, that's not always the case, but it is often the case that the sons of great leaders are not great leaders themselves. I'm making a guess. It's probably because great leaders establish some type of power and influence uh, and even affluence, and therefore their sons or their children have it very easy. And because their children have it very easy, uh, they make poor leaders. Uh, in any case, uh, we are should be a little bit... Uh, questionable about how the text opens up. We have Samuel, and he has decided that his two sons should be judges. Um, he is in Ramah. They are in Beersheba. So they're setting up this national judgeship uh, and, and are intending uh, to rule. Now, we should know from Israel's history that they have already tried this, and it was shut down. Just listen to Judges, which this happens before the book of Judges comes before in Israel's history, before 1 Samuel. Judges 8 says this, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your sons, and your grandson also. They wanted this bloodline type of leadership. They wanted it to be passed on. The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, and your sons, and your grandsons, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. Who is to be in charge? The Lord will rule over you. So as a quick side note, if you are taking notes, jot this down. Positions of leadership should be based on character and competence, not on bloodline, tradition, affluence, or affinity. Here at Gospel Community Church, 
and in any church and in any organization, period, paragraph, positions of leadership should be based on character. Character. Are they honest? Are they trustworthy? They should be based on competency. Can they do the job? Right? We're, we're talking about these two particular things because somebody can be uh, very godly and have good character, yet they're not very competent to lead the organization, to build a ministry. And the opposite is also true. You could have somebody who's very skilled, who's very talented, who's a, who's a natural leader and has the gift of uh, being able to teach or whatever, yet they have poor or ungodly character. Those two things must come into play when we're giving positions of leadership, character and competency. It is not to be based on bloodline. So somewhere down the line, if we adopt a son, you know, little Kurt McDonald Jr., just because he's my son doesn't mean that he should, you know, follow in my footsteps and be the pastor of Gospel Community Church. So it's not about bloodline. It's not about tradition. Well, we've, we're giving this person this position in the church. Why? Because it's the way we've always done it. No, it's about character and competency. In addition, it's not about affluence. This is a pitfall of many organizations and especially of many churches uh, because when people who give a lot have an opinion, the leadership of the church, the pastors of the church feel this pressure because they give a lot to listen to them and to give them positions of authority because of their affluence, and that is incredibly dangerous. Many, many, many churches have been blown up and exploded and torn apart for this very reason. The people that give a lot of money, the, the pastors decide to give them power and authority even though they don't have good character or they're not competent to do the job and it destroys the church. And in addition, positions of leadership are not to be about affinity, meaning everybody just really likes this person. You know, it's old Frank. You know, he's been here for 100 years. Everybody likes him. Let's just give him this position of authority. Well, that's very dangerous. And so what's happening here is that these two boys have been given these positions of authority without thinking about their character and their competency. It's important to note that Beersheba is some 50 miles away to the south. So Samuel is in Ramah. 50 miles to the south is where these two boys are set up down in Beersheba. So it seems that Samuel is trying to set up a national rule from the north to the south, changing the nation from a group of tribal families, which is what they have been thus far, a group of tribal families, what Samuel has now done is he set up a judgeship in the north, he set up a judgeship in the south, and he is trying to turn this into a unified people. The judges, Samuel and his two boys, under God, who is king, but it does not go well. Look back at this section of text. Verse 3, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, before we go and blame Samuel for the follies of his two boys, um, my time in ministry, in youth ministry, and even uh, here at this church, I've seen many godly parents who have raised their children in the way that they should go, yet their children stray. So let us not you know, jump to conclusions here and simply blame Samuel because his two boys are off the rails. Um, in addition, it seems that Samuel still has a very godly character because he is the one they are measured against. Look back at the text. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways. Samuel is godly, following God, loving the Lord, 
wanting God to be king over his life, yet it's his boys who are not walking in that way. Now, at this point in the text, we have an old man and two crooked sons. Is anyone getting deja vu? Who has been here with us from the beginning of the book of Samuel? Have you been here with us from the beginning? If you've been here with us from the beginning, you'll know that Samuel, the book of Samuel starts out with an old guy. His name is Eli. And this Eli has two crooked sons. And it doesn't go well for the nation. And so now we're in this deja vu position to where we've got Samuel, but it's not little boy Samuel in the temple. It's not Judge Samuel who's leading the nation onto safety, security, and prosperity. Now Samuel is an old man, and he has two crooked sons. The nation went right back into the same position it was in. It's like you want to yell at him. What are you guys doing? Haven't you learned your lesson? They didn't learn their lesson. Why isn't anyone getting rid of these corrupt priests? Why are they going back and falling in the same trap? Well, the exact reason that you and I fall in the same trap. Because we refuse to keep God as our king. We refuse to turn over full and complete and total leadership to God. We decide we know a better way. We decide we have a better plan. We decide we know what to do better with our finances. We decide we know what to do better with our marriage. We decide we know what to do better with our sexuality. And we make our own way, go our own path, and we find ourselves back in the same trap we were in before. That's the bad news. Here is the good news. If you're taking notes, God loves serves and continues to pursue his children even when they go back to the same old barn and get kicked by the same old mule. God continues to love and serve and even chase after his children. It's not as if we read this when Samuel became old and he made his sons judges over Israel's, yet his sons did not walk in his ways and they turned aside for gain, blah, blah, blah. And God decided to get rid of the nation of Israel and forsake them forever. The Bible is over the end. The whole rest of the Old Testament narrative is about God chasing and pursuing his people on into the New Testament where God in flesh shows up. Jesus walks on this earth to chase us, to pursue us, to love us all the way to the cross where he dies in our place for our sins so that we might be welcomed as his children back into the family of God, even though we continue to fall in the same trap over and over again. Now, the fact that God continues to love, chase, and pursue us, even when we go back to the same old barn and get kicked by the same old mule, does not mean that we have license or freedom to run headlong towards the barn. Amen, somebody? It does not mean God's going to love me, God's going to forgive me, and so I can just, you know, take my leisurely stroll back to the barn. Hello, mule. But it means that there is grace there, It means there is love there. It means God is pursuing us. And it is that love, it is that pursuit of us, which drives us, listen, to run away from the barn, (laughs) to not get kicked by the mule again. That's the idea. So that is the good news inherent in the text, is that God is still chasing his people. 
What is clear is that this nation is back in crisis mode. They are back in the what are we going to do mode. They have lost their sense of security. Look at verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. Well, way to rub it in, guys. (laughs) Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Listen to what they say. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like who? Like all the nations. Now, here's their reason. Okay, let's start with their reasoning. Their reasoning is, uh, Sam, you're pretty much in full-on grandpa status, okay? Your sons, they're lame. They're not getting the job done. That's their reason. Their reason is because of the state of their current leadership, all they can see is instability. All they can see is a loss of security. And so they want to do something about it. Is this bad? Is this a bad reason? No, it's a logical reason, a logical reason. We don't trust the leadership. The guy's too old. His sons are crooked. We got to do something different. That's their reasoning. But what is their solution? Their solution is give us a king. Okay, so while they have a reason to fear, their solution is not very bright. Think about this. Think about this. You must see how moronic this is. Your sons will make bad successors, is what they're saying. So give us a kingship. A kingship. What happens in a kingship? The sons are the successors. This is a bad solution. This is a, I mean, they're recognizing the problem, but their solution is not very smart. So your sons have, will make bad successors, so give us a system, a kingship that is dependent on successors. This is a massive blind spot which should have been painfully clear. The, the whole position of leadership being a hereditary thing is simply not working, so they're saying, give us another system where the positions of leadership are hereditary. Don't, haven't they learned that great leaders can have terrible sons? And so they ask, for a kingship. The great tragedy is not their horrible solution. The great tragedy is that in their search for a king who will bring them safety and stability, they are rejecting the king who will bring them eternal security. This is the great tragedy. In search of deliverance, they are rejecting the deliverer. This is the great tragedy in what their request is. Now, What's key for us to see and understand is the type of king they're asking for. Just as many have rejected Jesus as king because of the type of king that he is, they are rejecting God and they're asking for a different type of king. What type of king do they want? Now appoint for us a king to judge us like, this is the type of king that they want, like all the nations, that's, that's what they want. Now, it's not bad for them to ask for a king. That's not a bad request. It's not a bad request because uh, Moses, uh, the guy who had led the nation out of slavery in Egypt, had actually set up some rules or some thoughts about um, how the king should act once they got ready to set one up. As a matter of fact, it's talked about in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17. Listen to this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set up a king over me, listen to this, 
like all the nations around me. Sound familiar? You may indeed set a king over you. Okay, stop right there. So God is saying, fine, have a king. You may indeed set a king over you. That's cool. It's not bad for them at this point to be asking for a king in their history. But listen to this. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you. Now, again, this isn't racism. This is about having a, uh, a person who is of the Jewish faith who is following Yahweh God so that he can then be the king and lead the nation uh, to, to follow Yahweh God. Who is not your brother, verse 16 in Deuteronomy 17 says this, only he, listen, listen how crazy this is. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to, to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. What defined all of the other kings of all the other nations around them? Lots of wives, lots of horses, lots of silver and gold. What this is saying is, yes, you can have a king, but the king is not supposed to be like all the rest of the other kings. This is a humble king. This is a king of the people that's for the people. This isn't a king that's out for personal gain. This is a selfless king. This is a servant king. Sound like anybody you know? They're asking for the wrong type of king. They don't like the type of king that they have. That is their problem. The big idea is that it's not supposed to be like other kings. They wanted gusto. That's the type of king they want. They're, they're saying, all these other nations have a king, and the king's got like a throne and a cool crown. He's got a big horse and a sword, and he leads them in battle and does all this other cool stuff. And we can't even see our king. And we got this old guy as a judge over here. We're the lame nation. We don't want to be the lame nation. We want to be the cool nation with a cool king, with a cool horse and a cool sword. <coughs> That's not what they have. They have a God and a king they can't see and an old fuddy-duddy judge leading the nation. It's where they're at. And they don't like it. They don't want to be like that. They want to be like everyone else. They wanted gusto. They wanted flash. They wanted a display of might and power, but that's not the type king that they had. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you disappointed that King Jesus has not given you what you wanted? Are you disappointed this morning in the type of king Jesus is? I want Jesus to show up at my work and tell my boss that he's stupid. I want Jesus to swoop in on a giant horse with wings and fix all of my problems. That's the kind of king I want. I want Jesus to come down and write me a check that's going to pay all of my bills. That's the type of king I want. So I ask you again, are you disappointed in the type of king Jesus is? You see, Jesus isn't the type of king who's going to swoop in on a magical horse and solve all your problems. That's not the type of king he is. He is a humble king. He is the selfless king who comes alongside you in your times of suffering and pain 
and walks with you through that and gives you the strength to make it through life. He comes alongside you and puts his arm around you and he leads you through suffering. He leads you through pain. He leads you through life's difficulties. He doesn't wave his magic wand and make it all go away, though he could. But that's not the type of king Jesus is. So, if you're taking notes, sadly, many people reject King Jesus because their childish wants are not met. I've met many, many people who have walked away from the church, and when you boil it down, the very bottom line of it is, my childish wants were not met. God didn't wave his magic wand and fix my problems. And so I've rejected the church and I've rejected King Jesus because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. It's very sad. Verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel, and when, they, and when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now, what's happening in the text is Samuel is, again, fulfilling his role as the priest and mediator. They go to Samuel. The people go to Samuel. Samuel, we want a king. What does Samuel do? Samuel takes their request to God. This is what a mediator does. So Samuel goes to the Lord in prayer. Now, the Lord's response here is shocking. Look at the Lord's response. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people. Obey the voice of the people? I mean, Samuel, like, you just imagine like his jaw dropping. I'm, I'm, say again, Lord. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I thought you said obey the people. I, you meant don't. Did you, did you forget the don't that was supposed to go there because uh, that's not exactly what you're supposed to say? Samuel likely thought that the Lord would, would have said, well, tell the people that that request is stupid, and if they don't get their act together, I'm going to do the fire from heaven thing on them. <laughs> but that's not what Samuel heard at all. Samuel heard, okay, let them have it. Obey the voice of the people. Lord didn't say, tell them that this is going to harm them, tell them that this is bad for them, tell them that it's gonna, not going to end well. He says, obey the voice of the people. Now, you can see here in the text that Samuel is likely feeling crushed, and the Lord is actually comforting Samuel because the Lord tells Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me. That, that's what's happening. God had repeatedly delivered them, and they still don't want him as king. This is what is so crazy. According to all the deeds they have done from the day, I, I'm in verse 8, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me. He brought them up out of Egypt. After that, uh, the, the Philistines stole the ark, but God got the ark back. 
After that, the Philistines were killing them, and, and then God thundered and defeated the Philistines. I mean, it's just like time and time and time again, God has been delivering them, delivering them, even though they've been ignoring him, forsaking him. God keeps on delivering, keeps on delivering, keeps on loving, keeps on serving, keeps on chasing, and they keep ignoring him. And, and it, I mean, it's absolutely insane to think of how many times God had delivered them, yet they continue to reject him. If you're taking notes, it is irrational in light of how many times God has delivered you to reject him as your king. It's, it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense if you think back on your life. Think back on your life right now. Look back at how many times God has delivered you, how many times God has loved you, how many times God has served you and, and saved you and brought you out of terrible messes, yet we continue to reject him as king in our day-to-day -day lives. It's, it, this is irrational. It's irrational. The most rational thing to do is to turn your life over 110% to the Lord, to serve him with everything you have. Give your whole life to Jesus. That is what makes the whole the, the most sense. Reading Israel's history is painful because it reminds us of how stupid we can be. That's what's painful about reading Israel's history, but we need to be reminded of it least, lest we become overconfident and think that we can be our own king. The truth is, every single person in this room, including, if not more importantly, yours truly, needs to be taken down a peg or two. And we need to be reminded that we make terrible kings over our own lives. So, the question now becomes, why does God say, give them what they want? Now, I mean, it's shocking that he said it, but why, why does he say it? Well, the reason that he allows this becomes even more clear at the conclusion of the section. Now, then obey their voice only. Okay, so now it's kind of revealed to us or shown to us why he's allowing this to happen. Now then, obey the voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. It's clear that God is making one of those hard parenting decisions. This is a very, very difficult and painful parenting decision that God is making. I'm telling you, don't do this, but I want to. It's not going to go good, but I want to. It's not going to go good, but let me do it. Okay. At some point, sometimes parents have to make that difficult decision and say, okay, fine, do that. I was in the driveway with Lydia, and we were playing this game. She had uh, a kite. Now, if you've been to my house, there's like trees everywhere, which equals zero wind. So here's how you get the kite to go. Uh, you run as fast as you can, okay? Pulling the kite behind you. But in order to get the kite up and going, you have to give it a boost. And so here was the game. Uh, we would you know, take out a certain amount of line and Lydia would hold the line and I would say, on your mark, get set, go. And she would take off running. And the line's getting taken up, the line's getting taken up. I'm holding the kite. Line's taken up, line's taken up, line's taken up. And I take the kite and I throw it in the air and by that time, the line is fully extended, and Lydia is at a full out run down the driveway, laughing as she goes as the kite is flying high. <laughs> you know, she's right. She's, it was a great game. Well, then she uttered her most famous and often repeated words that she is 
been saying all the time now, I want to do it by myself. Okay, um, so what's going to happen is when you take off running and no one is there to throw the kite up in the air, you're just going to drag the kite along behind you. It's not going to fly. But I want to try it by myself. Okay, Lydia, if you do that, what's going to happen is your Sophia kite, uh, Sophia, the first kite here uh, that we got at the dollar store, okay, this thing is not like well built. It's going to tear up and then the game's over. But I want to do it myself. So I solemnly warned her, like the text said. If you take off running and no one is there to throw the kite up in the air, you will drag it behind you and the kite will tear up and the game will be over. But I want to try. Okay. Now, the Sophia, the first kite, is in the trash. <laughs> God here is disciplining them. He's disciplining them. That's a, that's a form of discipline. These children, these rebellious children, are insisting on something that's bad for them God has told them, I'm, I'm to be your king. I'm supposed to be your king. God has told them through Moses, if you want a king, let God pick the king. And they're saying, no, we don't want God to be our king. We don't want God to pick our king. We want a king like all the other nations. And God says, okay, okay, let them, let them have it. If you're taking notes, if you've ever been under the discipline of God, count it a blessing because God disciplines those whom he loves. Even though God is saying yes to a request that is going to hurt them, this is an act of love because it is discipline and God loves those whom he disciplines. So God says, let them have it. Hebrews 12 tells us this, that God disciplines those whom he loves. Now Samuel dives in and explains to them exactly what the king is going to be like. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king for him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take. Let that word stick in your mind as we read the rest of this. That word, take. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war, the equipments of his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. Verse 15, he will the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards, and he will give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and females, uh, uh, female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and will put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, this is the worst and most tragic part, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Obviously, the refrain here that describes the king that they're asking for is a king that takes, that takes sons and daughters, the best of their fields, their vineyards, their, orchard, their orchards, um, and the worst part, the tax there. He's going to take a tenth of it. This is going to hurt them. 
Now, again, if you're having deja vu here, you should because it was the wicked Eli's sons who had done the same thing. They had taken and exploited from the people. And in here, we see that Samuel's sons, what are they doing? Well, they're perverting justice and taking bribes. They're also exploiting the people. And what is the king going to do? Well, he's going to take and exploit the people. That is what is happening uh, to these people. They're going to be slaves. And so in essence, if they reject the king who has set them free, they would find themselves in slavery again, the exact same thing that they're trying to get away from. If you're taking notes, to reject the king who sets us free is to welcome slavery. To reject the king who sets us free is to welcome slavery. That's exactly what's happening in the text, and that's exactly what happens to us. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is true freedom under the reign of King Jesus. This is the lie of the world, that you give away so much by being a Christian, that there's so many rules and so many restrictions. you got to do this and go there and read the Bible and pray and you know act right and do all this stuff. There's so much restriction uh, under Christian rule, and that's ex- the exact opposite. There is freedom. There is freedom under Christ, there's, there's freedom from Satan and sin and death and demons. Under the rule of King Jesus. Listen to this. This one is so important. There is freedom from trying to please everyone else. I mean, aren't, aren't you sick and tired of trying to keep everybody happy, of trying to be liked by everyone? Isn't that just exhausting? I know exactly what that feels like. It's incredibly exhausting to try to be liked by everyone. But when Jesus is your king, you are ultimately completely and totally loved by him. Therefore, you are set free from trying to please and be liked and loved by everybody else. That's the freedom that you find under King Jesus. Aren't you tired of chasing an empty and hollow American dream? The, the bigger house, the nice car, the, the you know, picture-perfect family, the, the, the Instagram and Facebook family where everybody's nice and smiley and happy and you've got the big house and the nice car and everybody. Aren't you tired of chasing that hollow dream, that empty dream that says build up your own kingdom, acquire as much wealth as you can, make your whole life about you and just find whatever makes you happy and do that till you die? Come on. Come on, how many people are we watching do this and they're still not happy? Acquiring wealth. And when, when under the reign of King Jesus, Jesus says, don't build up your own life and make it all about you. Give your whole life away. So under the reign of King Jesus, there is the most freedom. I'm just trying to preach a little bit this morning. (laughs) Let's move on. Verse 19, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, He repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. This is such a childish answer from them. Verse 19, look at it. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, no, but there shall be a king over us. He said, Hey, 
it's going to go bad. You're going to, like, he's going to put you in slavery. He's going to take all your stuff. And they said, no. They don't even offer a rational rebuttal. They don't say, no, we'll put a good set of checks and balances in place to make sure that doesn't happen. That's a, that's a rational rebuttal. Their rebuttal is, no, we want a king. <laughs> it's ultimately childish the way they respond. And it's ultimately empty-headed the way they respond because who do they want? I mean, what, what do they think this king is going to do? That we may be like all the other nations and that he may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles up to this point. Who has been fighting all of their battles? God has. It's, it's insane. It's insane. Yet again, we have another tragic ending to a chapter in 1 Samuel. We keep coming up on these tragic endings where people die to where the people are hard-hearted and the chapter, I mean, that's it. The chapter's over. Look at it. Obey the voice and make them a king. Samuel then said uh, to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So everybody go back home and you're, we'll get you a king, the thing that's bad for you. And, and that's it, okay? Nope, right? We've got to move on to chapter 9 because there's no happy ending here. There, there's no good news at the end of this chapter. It, it's, simply, it's simply over. And uh, I don't know about you this morning, but I kind of I need some good news. I, I, I kind of need this thing to, to turn around. Well, here we go. Spoiler alert. Saul is appointed king. We'll, we'll see that soon. Okay, so Saul is appointed king, and he is the king that the people want. And again, spoiler alert, it goes bad. <laughs> Read ahead, it goes bad. Well, the good news is after Saul is appointed king, there is another king who is appointed, and this king is a king after God's own heart. This is the king that God had selected. This is King David, and King David is a foreshadow of the greatest king who was yet to come. And so that is the good news. The good news is this is all leading up to the greatest king, that is King Jesus. And this King Jesus would be a king unlike any other king. He is not like Jesus, is certainly not like the king of the nations. You see, Jesus is a king who did ride in triumphantly to his city, but King Jesus rides in not on a giant armored plated war horse, but Jesus rides in as king on a little colt. Yes, he was inaugurated with a crown, but it wasn't a crown of gold. This was a crown of thorns. Yes, Jesus is a king who held a scepter, but the scepter was a reed that was used to beat him before his crucifixion. They said, hail king, but it was in mockery of the true king, Jesus. Listen to this conversation from John 18. 33 through 36. So Pilate, answered, uh, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, listen, this is so key. My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus clearly, emphatically says, I am a king unlike any other king. The king that was spoken about back in Deuteronomy from from Moses, the king that people are ultimately looking for here in our text in 1 Samuel, the king that ultimately all of our hearts long for, this different king, this strange king, this humble king who comes to, to serve, not to enslave us, but to set us free. That's what this king does. And how he sets us free is through the power of his cross. How he sets us free is through the power of his blood. How he sets us free is through the power of his his perfect life lived under the rule and reign of God the Father as he perfectly obeys the law so that we might uh, be called righteous and blessed. He's a different kind of king. He's not a king that takes, that enslaves, but he's a king that gives gives his own life, and he's the king that sets us free. This king is unlike any other king. This is a different kind of king, a king who gives, a king who gives his very life, not that we would have earthly security and earthly wealth, but so that we might have eternal security under the rule and reign of King Jesus Last thought, what will you say when you stand before this king? You will stand before the king. Inevitable. An unmovable date set in history. What will you say when you stand before this king? Will you say, I gave you my life because you were worthy of it? Will that be the cry of your heart when you stand before King Jesus. I gave you my life. I gave you my family. I gave you my finances. I, I gave you my heart and my affections. I gave everything to you, King Jesus, because you were worthy of it. Or will you say this? Tragically, I decided to go with a different king. Friend, you will discover that it will be tragic on that day. You will say those words from your heart, tragically, I decided to go with a different king. You will not say, in retrospect, now that I'm standing before you, King Jesus, on the last day, I'm pretty happy that I saved up all my money and spent it on myself. You will not say to King Jesus, In retrospect, now that I'm standing before the king of kings, I'm happy I spent every Saturday and Sunday on the golf course. You will not say that. You will say, tragically, I decided to go with a different king. I call you this morning. The text calls you this morning to surrender your life, all of it, 110%, of everything that you have and all that you are to be under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.